I love this text that we just read. I enjoy preaching on it because it's messy um, and because it doesn't just have a, a neat way of understanding it. Today's gospel story finds Jesus far away from Galilee. He's now in the region of Tyre. And if you have a map in the back of your Bible, I think most of us have digital Bibles here, but um, you can turn to it and look up the distance. It's a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty fair piece of distance. Remember, he would have gotten here on foot. He's in an area that is primarily Gentile now. He has left the Jewish territories. Something different is going on from the beginning of this text. And, and if we take the text for what it says here, Jesus doesn't want to be discovered. He wants to go unseen in this area, unrecognized. In this text, we often focus on how the woman is an outsider here. And there, there are ways that she's an outsider. But Jesus is also coming into the situation as an outsider. He is now in Gentile territory, in an area where Jews were known historically for being mistreated and violence perpetuated against them. If you do a deeper study, there's there may be some reasons for that. It's not quite as, as simple as that. It's a complicated thing, but this is what Jesus has stepped into. This woman, we're told, is Greek of Syrophoenician um, ethnicity. She would have been very influenced by the Roman culture, but this shows us how the word of Jesus has spread. They knew of his works even here, and so she approaches Jesus. She approaches Jesus with confidence. Mark doesn't give us a lot of details. I've said that every time we've talked about Mark, we've preached, I've preached from Mark. Mark is really scant with the details. And so when there are details, when there is a story, when Mark slows down and doesn't like hop over things, you really need to pay attention because it's there for a purpose. So far, we know that Jesus doesn't want to be recognized here in this place and an interesting detail to be added for whatever reason. And this woman who would have been very different from the Jews that Jesus normally associated with approaches Jesus. Her daughter is said to be possessed by a demon. We don't know what that looked like in reality, uh, what her behavior was like, but we can be guaranteed that if we were to walk in her shoes this morning, this mom is desperate. She is desperate because even though she's not an outsider culturally here, she's with other Gentiles, she is still a desperate mother. She's a woman, so she's still on the outside of the insider culture. And the issues with her daughter probably would have kept her very isolated from the rest of her community. She's heard word of this man who can heal. Here's he's coming near, and so she travels to him. This is a determined woman. The text here can be unsettling, and I don't want to focus our whole time on this, on Jesus's response. Um, it's just too much to gloss over it. Um, we can't ignore it. I don't want to be too quick to jump in with the rationale that makes Jesus look good. I, I don't know if you caught Jesus's response, um, but he says he can't help her because the children need to be fed first um, and then the dogs are fed. It looks like Jesus is calling her a dog, the equivalent to a dog. Um, and we're going to struggle with that for just a moment. In my study for this sermon, 
I found a couple different lines of thinking. One is that Jesus is just tired when he calls her a dog. He's grumpy. He has walked into this space. We know he doesn't want to be seen. Why do we have that detail here? Um, and so it just comes from his exhaustion. Uh, and that could be true. Still, it seems cruel. And in our current cultural climate, honestly, I'm outraged by that. Some believe that Jesus here is telling her that it's not her time yet. That Jesus, while his use of words hit us hard, is just saying that it's not time for his ministry to expand to non-Jews yet. Jesus believes that everything should happen in the right time. That's part of Mark's gospel. And he believes it's not time for his ministry to extend in this way. Perhaps he sees his point, or perhaps at this point, he sees his ministry limited. But this woman and her faith, literally her words, change Jesus' mind. In this understanding of the text, Jesus is open to learning from this woman. Others still believe here that Jesus is just engaging this woman as a teacher would. One professor who commented on the scripture talked about um, how he knew that he would test his students to see how far he could push them in their thinking, help them to understand new ways. That in this moment, Jesus is asking, is she going to be able to go with me here? Well, yes, yes, she is. She's able to hang in this space with Jesus. She's able to engage with Jesus on a level that his disciples, the Pharisees, and no one else has been able to do. With all of these options, it really does come down to under how you understand the incarnation of Jesus, uh, what it looks like practically. What does it mean for Jesus to be fully human and fully divine in this moment, in this conversation with this woman? Could Jesus have a grumpy day? Is that, is that okay? <laughs> is that the human side? Is it the divine side? Is it the human side that, that Jesus could change his mind, could be wrong about something? Is it just the holy Jesus testing her in this moment? I'm going to let you decide at this moment. These are some of the options that are out there. And, and while this understanding of this part could be like the basic of PhD work, um, we're going to walk with the woman for a little while. I want her to be the focus this morning. We could spend time arguing about the words of Jesus, but if we're looking at this scene uh, unfolding through the lens of a camera, I want to take the focus uh, off of Jesus and, and put it on this woman and her responses. You know, in uh, shows like The Office or Parks and Rec, when they're interviewing somebody uh, and they're in the main part of the camera and you see something happening in the background and then all of a sudden the focus shifts and what we're really supposed to be paying attention to is the person in the background, the person that just feels like kind of a nominal character in the moment. That's what's happening here if we were shooting this. Jesus has walked in. The focus of Mark has been on Jesus. And, and in this moment, we see this woman pleading for her daughter in front of Jesus. Sometimes we, we need to read scripture this way, paying attention to the people that too often we just see as bit players in um, scripture. Remember, this is what we know so far in this unfolding story. Somehow she's heard of the works of Jesus. 
she is desperate because even though she's not the outsider here culturally, she's still a woman uh, with a daughter that has issues that would have kept her isolated. She's heard word of this man. She's pushed to go see him. And now this determined woman, this isolated woman, is looking for some kind of answer, some solution, and it's led her to this Jew. Before and after this story in scripture, the disciples and Jesus engage in multiple conversations about miracles, um, where the disciples do not get it over and over and over again. They don't understand what they see happening in front of them. And the minute that they see it happening, then they seem to forget very quickly afterwards. In this conversation with this Syrophoenician woman, she is able to engage with Jesus in a way that the crowds, that the disciples, that even the Pharisees are not. And all of the stories that surround it, she believes in the power of Jesus. She believes about the stories that she's heard. She's convinced he could help her out of her situation. It is important to note that in the Gospel of Mark, this is the only exchange where Jesus doesn't win. She and Jesus have this exchange that proves she gets it. She can hang with Jesus. When she begins speak, when he begins speaking in metaphor, she goes with it. She challenges him back. She gets that there is enough of this bread of Jesus that the table is overflowing. There is enough of this. This miraculous whatever it is for everyone. There's enough for her, even though others wouldn't give her a seat at the table. She had a confidence, an intelligence, a boldness to claim something from Jesus. His ministry is changed as we see he not only heals her daughter, but performs another miracle after this, opening the ears and loosening the tongue of another Gentile. This story reminds us that there is enough Jesus to go around. The table is overflowing to everyone. We cannot contain the love of Jesus, and we cannot contain the ways in which Jesus works. For them in this setting, Jesus couldn't be contained just within the Jewish culture. We often think about his word spreading with the disciples after his death to all around the world, but Jesus was already showing us it was okay to get out of the traditional ways of thinking about the ways and the places in which he could work. Jesus is challenged that this power was bigger than he was even thinking at that moment. It isn't an either or, it's a both and. We often get very particular in the church about the ways that God can speak about the kind of music we should listen to, the books we should read, the, the things that are safe for us to engage in. And these are the things in which God will speak and work through. We need a label for it to know it's safe and okay. But we should think about the power of Jesus as bigger than what we can contain. I don't know about you, but a Jesus I can control, a Jesus I can contain is not a Jesus worth following. This scene reminds us that sometimes coming around the table is messy. We may not fully understand the words of Jesus, whether he was tired or, or grumpy or, or changing his mind, but 
But what we learn from this is that there is room for everyone. Scripture can be messy. The Christian life can be messy. But there is always room and there is always enough. Back in Richmond, uh, I know I have shared at least a version of this story before. So just uh, entertain me here by listening again. Because it's one of my favorite communion moments. I preached at uh, my church that had been my home church there in Richmond and been helped to serve communion. And this was back in the old days where we didn't think about all the germs that we were spreading. And uh, so I held a loaf of bread on a plate and uh, my uh, a friend had the cup and people were supposed to, you know, get the bread and dip it in the cup. We've done it here before like that through intinction. And we offered blessings to them um, for the, the bread and the cup. This is how it's supposed to work. Nice and smooth, beautiful, meaningful, all those things. But the bread we had gotten was a little tough. <laughs> it was a little hard, a little, a little more crusty than it needed to be. So people kept like, pulling pieces too small or, or pulling like whole hunks of the bread because you couldn't gauge what you were going to get. Sometimes for our oldest and youngest congregants, like I had to actually hold the bread again, pre-COVID, stick my fingers in the back of the bread so we could brace it so they could pull off the other side. We had one elderly couple that came up in our line. He was bracing her arm the whole time, uh, which complicated him getting his own bread. Um, she'd struggled to break off her piece. She was smiling from ear to ear. This was a, a woman who'd not been able to be at church much lately because of her health. And um, so she was just so happy to be there, happy to be participating. She, uh, He walked over and uh, got the blessing with the cup and took his... Um, dipped it in and took the elements and she um, smiled at me for a while and then he nudged her over to the cup and she dipped her uh, bread in and then she just stood there smiling even after Meg had given her the blessing. Um, they were holding things up. They were holding up the whole line for this whole process. <laughs> Finally, the older gentleman just frustratedly said to her, just eat it <laughs> loud enough that everybody in the surrounding area could hear her. We had one young congregant, I think he was about four or five at the time, who was uh, taking communion for the first time. Um, I'd had him in preschool choir, and so I knelt down and made eye contact with him and gave him his uh, blessing as he took a hunk of bread. And I do mean a hunk. I mean, like, he went in for, like, lunch, uh, got a hunk of bread. He dipped it in then with the cup, got the juice on his fingers, you know, didn't know he wants to stick his fingertips in the, the cup itself. Um, the piece of bread was just it was dripping with the juice and he popped it in his mouth still the whole time with this huge grin that he was able to participate. We laughed with congregants as they tried to get pieces of bread asking often, is it enough? Did you have enough to actually dip? Um, after it was over, the ground where we were standing, it has that red uh, cranberry colored church um, worship space uh, carpet in it. And it was covered in pieces of bread. It looked like the floor of a restaurant after a toddler has eaten. <laughs> it was everywhere. It was a mess. And all I could think is, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is what it's like when we all come to the table. We make sure everyone has enough. Some want a huge hunk. Some are smiling. Some are solemn. 
Some people are a bit of an inconvenience (laughs) and others will be frustrated because of it. Even if lovingly as they try to care for them and in the end, it will get everywhere. And as we remember that there's room for everyone at the table, we need to look around and see who is not here. What people are we just not paying attention to? Where is God moving outside of our normal ways of understanding God as we try to keep things neat and tidy? Life with Jesus is messy. And the miracle, the love of Jesus cannot be contained. When we have open hearts to engage, to listen and learn, the power of Jesus spills over the table. It gets all over the place. It's like a messy toddler. It's everywhere. It makes room for everyone, and it moves in ways we would not expect. As we close our message time, our sermon time today, we want to take a few minutes for some time for reflection. And we're going to do this all together. If you are online, you can put your responses into the chat. Um, I want us to just share together, if you're willing, when has God showed up in a way that surprised you? Or when have you seen or heard God speaking in a person or a place that you wouldn't have expected it from? Something that's not sanctioned to be churchy, not sanctioned to be holy. Um, Where have you seen God moving and speaking in places you would not expect? Um, And when you have an answer, you can just answer the mic here is pretty sensitive so um it can pick you up wherever you are if you just answer where you are youth this is uh your when every week in youth group where you talk about happy crappy and holy this is the holy where have you seen god moving in in holy ways in ways that you wouldn't expect